Stop it. Good morning. That sounds like camp coma to me. I know after you get back from camp, you, st- you, you take one day to stare at nothing at all. And uh, I saw the kids were a little bit, so, so that's, that's a little bit of a hangover right there. Camp hangover right there. So we're going to try it again. Good morning. Yeah, you need to go around and greet each other and find out all sorts of things. You go up to Bill Barry and I say, Bill, you look nice this morning. He said, this is the shirt my grandpa was buried in. (laughs) Think about that a minute and figure out how that could possibly happen. That is just the weirdest statement I've ever heard. You want to do that, just go talk to Bill sometime. That's the kind of stuff he tells you. We're grateful that you're here. If you're visiting with us, we're glad particularly that you've chosen to come up the hill and, and join us and, uh, and, and, and pray that you're going to leave here saying it was good to have been here. The singing was particularly great. Jeff has some great songs he picked, and I appreciate Brad sharing what he shared at the Lord's Supper today. Sometimes you get a particularly personal story told, and that was as touching as anything, and I appreciate you putting yourself in like that. And, and having some quality time at the Lord's Supper today. We're in Matthew chapter 6. We'll be there in a moment. I'm, I'm not supposed to say a name because she gets very nervous and upset whenever her name is spoken. And so I'm just going to say this. Today, our youth minister is now married to a more older woman than he was yesterday. That's all I'm going to say. And she can't blame me for saying her name. I did not say the name at all. Anyway, so I'm safe there. I also look out and I say, Ben and Lydia, raise your hand. First time here as a married couple. They just ran off and got married not long ago. This is their first Sunday here. Gene States, I saw you last Sunday and just, I thought that can't be him. I haven't seen you in a long, great having you back. Glad you're here. We're in Matthew chapter 6. Join me there in just a second. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. You had to know this passage was coming. You had to know it because it always gets around to this sometime. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about if you let your entire life come under the reign of God, He is going to get into the meddlesome parts of your life and He's going to rearrange it all and say, I'm Lord of this too, and I'm Lord of this too, and I'm Lord of this too. He's already said, I'm Lord of your words. You can't say just whatever you want to. So when you're angry, be careful because I I have sovereignty over your anger. And when you have lust in your heart, be very careful because I'm sovereign over that too. And that very intensely personal moment in your brain. Sexual ethics, I cover that, he says. "I'm, I'm over your marriage. I want to bring your marriage under my dominion. Man, is he meddlesome. Man, is he meddling all over us in the Sermon on the Mount. And then he says what you say and how you treat others people, particularly those people who don't treat you well. What you do in response, I'm Lord over that too. You get the idea that he's picky, that there's no place in your life where God's finger's not going to touch and his eyes are not going to look upon and say, that's mine. We should be singing the song, I am mine no more all day long. He says, I want to I pick on how you worship and what you're thinking while you worship. That's something. And now, if it's, 
even possible, he gets more personal. He violates every HIPAA privacy notice that you've ever received in the mail. He goes invasive and he says, let me talk about your checkbook. Oh, and so we all go, oh, here we go, the TV evangelist. Go ahead, do your TV thing and beg for money. After all, it's paying your salary, right, preacher? That's what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I've heard people say it. Bible talks more about this than almost anything. Jesus certainly does. And the only thing not debated among all churches out there, no matter what religious group you're talking about, nobody ever debates whether we should take the offering up every Sunday. You ever notice that? We'll debate the Lord's Supper and sermons and all this stuff, but we never debate it. They all take it up. And so money is obviously an issue with God, and Bible says so, and churches practice it. But this morning what I want to do is look at the passage in the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm not going to be meddlesome with you, and I'm not going to pick on you. I'm the proctor of three tests today. You're going to take three tests out of this passage. I'm also one taking the test myself, so I'm not outside of it. I'm not just giving it and looking at you with a smirk, wondering how you're doing. I've got to take it as well. No lecture no telling you percentages, no giving you guilt trips about how you should be given. That's not the, the, the issue of Jesus in this passage. The first test is this. It's a treasure detector. A treasure detector kind of goes around, and I remember the, the one time when, when Jonathan and Gary went out and did a metal detector thing. They went to an old lake site or something. They were out there, and I thought they might discover something you know, really worthwhile, and I was really interested, but when he came back with nothing, I didn't care anymore. Tre treasure detector. Here's the first one. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. I hate moths. I hate mothballs, too, getting them away. You have to worry about moths eating your clothes or, or rust getting on your Chevy, right, or your Ford, or, or thieves breaking in and stealing your money, your possessions. These are things that consume us, and these are the things that are so vulnerable because of forces on earth. He says, instead, I want you to put your treasures in heaven because there, nothing can take them. They're always there safely in God's keeping. Now, what exactly is a treasure? I want you to take this treasure detector test because it's very important. Where exactly is the heart of what you value? How do we answer this? We easily say it with our mouth, well, I treasure things in heaven. That's where I'm a faithful person. But that's not really true. The treasure detector determines where it really is, not where you say it is or where you want it to be. It detects where it really is. The treasure is the thing you want most. It's the thing you research most on Google. It's the one that you find yourself longing for. It's where your security is. No matter what's happening, I've got this to give myself security. It's my identity. It's my meaning. It's where my satisfaction in life comes from. It's what I might worry about at night or, on the other hand, I might give myself a pep talk. Everything else else in life is going wrong, but I've got this. It's what I spend my time with. If you put your treasure in your looks, I want you to know they're going to change. Like that tattoo that used to be in the middle of your back, now it's down near the bottom, right? It moves on you with time. It kind of changes locale. Because with life, it goes this way. It, it, nice clothes, I, 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 my identity, the clothes make the man. Well, your, your, your clothes that you wore six months ago are now at Goodwill, right? And if, you, if it's all in your appearance and all that, look at your parents' yearbook picture. Just get their yearbook out and look at their picture, and I want you to tell yourself, that was cool back then. I want you to say that. That was cool back then. 
Holy cow, that was cool back then. And by the way, they're going to say that about your yearbook picture not too long from now. If, if we put our, our hope and our treasure in that stuff, it's going to change, it's going to be altered, it's going to be... Well, just think about your Christmas present. If I get this one thing, I'll never ask for anything again. I promise you it's probably in a city landfill right now. Watch an old episode on it. got Game Show Network. People who like game shows all the time can watch them 24 hours a day. Do you know that? What kind of weird creature is that? You can watch old prices right, and you watch the old prices right, and all these people, ooh and ah, here's what you get. Look, a 1972 Pinto. Woo! My life is now complete. Those things were barbecue grills on wheels. They blew up from behind. There were people who died because of what they won on the Price is Right. It changes. Don't put your hope in that stuff. Don't define yourself by that stuff. Treasure. Where is your treasure? We all treasure something. And what he's saying in this passage is you've got to choose where your treasure is. Do you choose earthly stuff? All the earthly things, the things of this life that are so temporary, so will your hope be. It's not anchored in something final. How do you have treasures in heaven? Scripture says a few places. If you look up Matthew 6, the very first few words of this chapter, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. But then verse 2, when you give to the needy, What he means is when you give to the needy, you're giving to the Lord. To give to the poor is to lend to the Lord, Proverbs says. And so when you give to someone who's in need at a certain particular time, listen, you are not spending, you're investing. You're putting something in heaven that can't be taken away from you because you didn't spend it on you that was so just temporary. You spent it on someone else, and God took notice. When you bless somebody else, God also takes notice. It's a triangle. When you spend just on you, not so much. And so when you spend on the needy, God says, I take notice, and I, you, it goes into your heaven bank account. You double dip right there. You get money here, and you get money there. It's a really sweet deal, really. What about Luke chapter 6, 16? Use earthly wealth to gain friends for yourselves. It's not, not a weird thing. So that when it's gone, talking about your wealth, when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Ooh, weird. Buy your way to heaven. I want you to use earthly wealth that is so powerful in rooting you to this earth, and instead of letting it root you to the earth, I want you to make friends for yourselves. I want you to spend it on someone else in a way that helps them learn about God. Pay for somebody else's camp cost. Pay for somebody else's mission trip. And when you do that, you didn't spend your money. You invested it. And because you did, it goes into your account and it can't be touched. Can't touch that moth rust. Can't get near it. Thieves don't even know where it is. It is with God, safe in his keeping. And the more you invest there, the more your heart goes there. And the more your heart goes there, the more your mind goes there. And you are living your life in eternity right now. Command those who are rich in this life to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a foundation for the coming life. When you do good and bless others with your income, instead of spending it invest, and that's where God says, I want you to be delighted by how you you, uh, spend your time and your money. 
And when you delight in the things that delight God, man, your life becomes joyful and full of treasures that can't be touched. There's an important question. Because the treasure detector so often becomes a lie detector. Notice the last line of this paragraph in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When you ask somebody, where's your treasure, they'll give you an answer. But the way to know where it is is to follow the fingerprints of the heart and the treasure. Where are they constantly going with their money and their time? You see, the person says, I didn't commit that murder. It wasn't me. I wasn't even there. You can say what you want, but I'll bring CSI in here, and we'll find those fingerprints and that DNA that you left behind. We'll follow the clues, and we'll see whether you were here or not. And what Jesus says is, you want to know where the heart is? Do you want to know where your real treasure is? Follow the money. The money trail will lead you. It's the fingerprint and the footprint of the heart because the heart follows it. I'll tell you how this happens. I've deceived myself a lot. You know, I used to think I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV, but now that you can binge watch shows, I find myself watching a whole lot more than I ever thought I did. Nobody people say, you watch four hours of TV a day, and I say, ain't no way that's possible. And you know what? That's true sometimes. I can fight it and I can argue it, but I can't lie on this deal. I watched myself. I started taking track of my time, and I go, whoa. And there's a lot of people watching useless YouTube videos for hours a day. Oh, I can quit any time, but they, those cat videos are unending. They'll go forever. Heaven may be just, let's watch these cat videos for the next 3,000 years, and there'll be plenty of evidence. There'll be plenty of video. And we watch this stuff, and we spend hours more than we ever realized doing some of this stuff. Don't tell me it's not your treasure. I want you to imagine a scenario that's happened. Man and his wife are having some real issues with their marriage, and the man meets with a preacher for counseling, and the preacher asks him, do you really want to save your, your, your marriage? Oh, yes, and he says all the right stuff. My wife and my kids mean more to me than anything in the world. If I gain the whole world, lose my family, I've lost everything. It sounds really good. It preaches. They are my everything. They are my all. But as the preacher starts talking, and he starts telling the story of this man works all the time, and he works overtime to afford the bigger house that he wants and also the boat that he's wanting to get. And then when he does get time off, it's all golfing and fishing with his buddies and hunting. And suddenly the preacher gets a picture that he tries. This guy says all he wants to and all the right things, but his actual time is never spent with his kids. How can you love your kids and never actually spend time with them? How's that possible? Here's how it's possible. He says what his values are, but he doesn't do what he says. When you try every way possible to minimize actual time with your family because it's too stressful to you or you don't know what to do with those little kids and you want to do something all the time and you're a workaholic and I've got to be accomplishing something all the time and just holding that baby, I'm doing nothing. That's not true. That's a lie that we're buying and we're saying this is what we value, but it's not what you value. Jesus says... When you say something but your money doesn't go where you say, what, you what your mouth just said is a lie. Trace the money trail. Trace the time trail. 
What is your treasure really? If someone traces your treasures, where would they find your heart at? Don't tell me what you want it to be. Don't tell me what you've been taught by your parents or your values. Don't tell me what the Bible says. Show me what the treasure trail shows. Take this test, y'all. It's alarming to me. And can I tell you something? That trail, the treasure trail, is what your kids really know about you, too. Doesn't take them long to figure this out. Where's your treasure? Don't tell me. Take the test. It's between you and God. I'm, you're not going to have to answer to me. But I have to answer to him, too. Second question is an eye exam. Are your eyes any good? That's a weird question, but you see that in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, and you can't just call up Thomas Nix and say, you know, I want you to test my eyes and answer this question. You can't do that. He says there's a healthy eye and there's an unhealthy eye. If your eye is healthy and it's good, it is taking in all the light that's around it and leading you in a proper direction. Here's the thing. You, your hand doesn't see anything. My hand doesn't see anything. My feet doesn't see anything. So my feet, how does my feet know where it should go? They, they should go. It's plural. How do my feet know where they should go? How do my hands know what they should reach for? Only by the input given from the eyes. My eyes tell my body where it's safe to travel. And if I hit my foot on something and stub my toe, I get onto my eye. Why did you not tell me that, right? Your eye is what takes in information for the body. And so how are your eyes? How are your eyes? You're going to say, well, how do I answer that question? Well, when the eye takes in light and knows where to go, it tells the whole body where it goes, and when it goes, it's going where it should, right? Nothing is obstructing your vision. But when the eye gets consumed with something other than the light, all of a sudden it grows dark and you head toward this thing. You ever been driving? My wife can always tell where I'm looking. This is why she does all the driving. I hardly ever drive anywhere. I can read, and she can get there safely and feel confident about that. But if I'm driving, you know how she can tell where I'm looking? That's where the car goes. You're driving along the road, and suddenly we start going this way, and she starts going, oh, you're looking at that cow in that field. Yeah, that's right. I know that's weird stuff. But if you start looking other than the road you'll start going where your eyes are looking. That's the whole way it's supposed to go. The question is, where's your life directed to? You're going to go where your eyes are looking. Christians, it says, we walk in the light. So we keep the light in our eyes, right? And, our, and that light helps us direct our feet and our hands, and they all stay in the light. But if we choose to focus on something on the earth, we leave the light and we enter darkness. And the more you keep your eyes on earthly things the more constantly you move toward them, and your heart does too. This is why we might refer to things as seeing. And so we have two people having a discussion. I want you to listen to this and see why they will never agree. There's a Christian saying to somebody else, I've got to be careful what I look because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm attracted to different people and all this stuff, and I've got to keep my behavior clean, and I've got to keep my eyes focused on, on something that is good. And the person arguing with him says, I don't understand why, I don't see why this is so important to you. Uh, look at everybody else. Everybody else is doing this. You just do what everybody else is doing. I can't do that. That's not what I'm looking at. The word seeing is appropriate because, listen, guys, Christians are looking at something different than people in the world, and that's why we're headed a different place. 
When you see a Christian saying, I'm looking at God and because of that I value spiritual purity. And you got the other person saying, I'm looking at everybody else. That's why all these other actions are okay. The reason is we're debating from a different standard. I'm looking at Jesus as my pattern. And because of that, purity matters. They're looking at everybody else as their pattern. That's why nothing matters. What are you looking at? What are you looking at? I don't see why going to church every time the doors are open are all that big a deal. I know you don't because we're looking at different things. I'm looking at being as much like Christ as I can in this life, and these are things the elders have provided me to help me become like that. And if I look like you do, if I look at everybody else and say, well, what's the greatest thing everybody else is doing? Let's just put it all together and decide we'll take a poll. We're looking at different things. What are you looking at? What's determining your direction? What's determining your decisions? Are you looking at Christ or are you looking at something else? Keep your eyes on the light as you keep your eyes on the light without the earthly obstructions. Some things that you do the world finds weird is because we're looking at different patterns we're trying to emulate in our lives. Where are your eyes looking? The greatest obstacle to this is money. More people will lose their soul over money than any other single thing in this life. The rich young ruler was just the first one. You keep your eyes full of what money can do for you. A man has in his eyesight all the toys that he's wanting, and he works like crazy to afford them. And going to church doesn't get him closer to these toys. And so going to church is not a high value. This is the truth of what determines why church matters to some and why it doesn't. What are your goals? It's as simple as that. Dave Ramsey will tell you, be careful what you want. When you go in to buy that car or that washer and dryer, take cash. That's weird to me. He says, cash just speaks to people. And he says, here's his biggest thing. Don't set your heart on it. You must be willing to walk away from it. You've got to be willing to, if you want that with all, that dealer will know it and they'll run that price up and you'll pay whatever you want to for it. So don't set your hearts on that. Don't keep your eyes so focused on that washer and dryer that you're mesmerized and hypnotized by it and that dealer knows it and so he charges this great price for it because your eyes are full of this. Walk in like you couldn't care less and he'll take less. We've got to walk through life looking at earthly things that way. Quit keeping your eye full of those things. Life is like this giant auction. I don't know if you've ever been to an auction before, but you take your number and you look, and you look at things that you really want, and if you really want them, if you really, really want them, you hold that number up for a long time against anybody who's competing. And you'll put a high value on the things that you want, and if you don't want it, you don't really care, you won't bid at all. Everything in life is an auction. Sunday morning worship service, Sunday night worship service maybe. And somebody says, how much is it worth to you? Oh, no, what if, it's, what if it costs you a ball game? Oh, no, no, no. And I'm not picking on baseball. I'm not. I don't care what it is. It's an auction. And everything's got a price tag to you. And the question is, how bad do you want God? How high will you go on the bid before you say it's too much? 
So, you've taken the treasure detector, you've taken your eye exam, and now we have a master identifier. That's the only way I know how to do it. This last passage, which is only one verse, last part. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You see, a master, by definition, owns you. You are a slave, and a master owns you, and we are all owned by some master. None of us are our own. And because of that, he owns everything. You can't have two masters. Technically, there's no way you can. One or the other owns you and has a right to a say in everything that you do, and you can't be owned by two at the same time. And so we can say what we want. Now, God is my master, but then you look at your life, and you're like, I don't know. And the only way to know... Because I've got to tell you, sometimes the same action can serve both gods at the same time. It's true. The only way you'll know who your real master is is when there's a conflict between the two. When there's a conflict, the one, that has the one, the one whose voice you listen to is the one who is really your God. Now, here's your test. When there's a conflict arise in your life, what is the answer going to be? Let me give you an example. Money says... Work all the overtime you can to make all the money you can. God says, oh, make sure you keep time for me. Two masters saying two different things. Which one wins? Money says, I know that family that you work with and that you, you appreciate so much just had a major financial stress in their lives, but surely they have insurance, and surely they've got this emergency fund, and they can take care of them themselves. And God says, why don't you contribute? Why don't you help with this major distress on this person? Why don't you contribute when this situation arises? And the question is, which one do you listen to? It's going to put you back in your savings a little bit. God says, help those you have opportunity to help, especially those of the household of faith. Money says, you need to save as much as you can to get the things that you want. God says, there's this mission effort going on right now among the members, and they need you to help. We got these young people going to Houston, $250 it costs them to do it, not counting their food and stuff, and you can't go because you're not a young person anymore, and, and, but you've got, a, you've got an opportunity in front of you to help. I'm not saying it's wrong to help. I'm just saying when money says one thing and God says another about this issue, who wins? Which voice carries the day for you? We were in Orlando not long ago, and one of the things that impressed me is we stayed in this hotel, and I was the preacher that morning at this hotel. This hotel has a different preacher every Sunday, whoever happens to be there. And all the people in the area will come who are going to Disney World or Universal or whatever. And we had 110 or something, 105, something like that, a good group. And there was this family with two little kids. And they were dressed up for Sunday church. I thought, I don't, even, I, I, I don't mind going to church on vacation, but I don't want to pack extra special clothes, right? I just want to take jeans, which is fine with me. I don't care what you do. But what is interesting is, is this... We're about to start this worship service, and this family comes in. We talked to him, and the son had had pneumonia on vacation and was in the hospital two days ago. Can you imagine? And they've got Disney in their eyes, right? They've got Disney in their eyes. Disney, the war this greatest place on earth. And, 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 and it's, it's open already, and we're having church. 
And they get their kids, and they dress their kids up, and they come down to this church service. And we're not talking about a cheesy church service that lasts five minutes. I'm talking about a whole hour. It was me preaching. I'm talking a whole hour, right? You know what they paid. I had to go up to that dad and say, you know what your kids know? You know what your kids know because of what you just did? They know Disney is great, but God's more important. They know that. You didn't have to say it. You didn't have to preach it. But what you did today, your kids know it. Do yours? Who's the master? What's interesting is, and I don't think that I'm assuming that the answer is no and making you feel guilty. I'm not. I'm asking you the question just like I'm asking me. The three questions we have this morning are very important. Your treasure detector, where is it? Your eyes, how are they? And who is your master? And can I tell you a couple of families here I'm going to brag on for a minute? I want to give a warning to us as a church to be careful with this. We do a lot of activities that cost money, and that's a little scary sometimes. Now, I think we should to give you the opportunity. But you follow the youth group sometimes, and that cost can get pretty high. So, you know, I'm, uh, by the way, we don't plan this so that everybody has to do everything. If you do everything, you'll go insane. The only one I know doing everything is Michael Deese, and I, there's my argument, insane. And he's got a great calendar because not all the stuff costs. We really stress that beginning of the summer. Hey, make sure we got things that they don't have to have 20 bucks every time they do something. Now, for some of you, it ain't no big deal. For some of you understand this is, that piles up over time. And so be careful with this. And there's lots of free stuff, but there's also lots of stuff that costs you something. And I want you to know I've talked to a couple of families. You know what they've done? You know what they've done because they've got a couple, maybe more than one, two, three kids. And it's going to cost a lot to do this. And I know people will step in. I'm not saying that that's, there's anything wrong with that or even expecting that. But listen, sometimes you don't want to do that. Sometimes you want to say, we want to buckle down and do it ourselves. We'll do it with all these traveling baseball things. We'll do it with this and that. We want to go ahead and communicate to our kids. And you know what they did? They got rid of cable. And you know what they did? They decided that American dream where two Yukons, brand new Yukons sitting in the driveway is not their highest value. And so they got used vehicles instead. And they downsized different things. And you know what the one reason was for? So that we can make sure that we can comfortably do all this and not have to worry about saying no to something that we know will contribute to their spiritual welfare. There's somebody communicating to their kids, we know what our treasure is. We're going to put our money where our mouth is. And we're going to do this and we're going to communicate to you, go ahead, daughters, go ahead, sons, trail, Get the trail of the treasure. It will lead back to God. And I want you to know this because of the value for your life. And I want you to know this for when you become your parents yourselves. There are people in this congregation choosing to get rid of some of the things that we all think is part of the American way of life just so they can afford these spiritual things. And they've become my heroes, y'all. They are heroic in this church because that's what we're here for. Now, there are some things that are expensive, and I get it, but I'm going to tell you this. You need to have those decisions where you say to your kids, there are some things we can't afford, and sometimes we can't do some things. But listen, this Houston trip or whatever the trip is, this is a mission trip, and I know it's expensive, and I know it's going to be tight, but we're going to do this because we know it's the right thing. Here's an opportunity presented to you, and all three tests are being challenged for you. Now, that doesn't mean if you say no that you're spiritually faulted. Because it also means sometimes even church things, that's just a little more expensive than we can handle. 
But that doesn't mean we won't be there on Wednesday night and Sunday night and we're going to do what we can. Either one of those. I'm just telling you, take the test. This is not a preacher testing you to see where you are. This is a text preached by Jesus that comes to us today and is still so relevant. Answer these questions and don't think that you just take it once. This is a test we have to present to ourselves on an ongoing basis because we don't solve this once and forever. This is something that's going to nag us for the rest of our lives, but it's so powerful, y'all, because money can take us right down to earth and then right down to hell with it. Money can do that, and we've got to have a declaration of independence that says it's not going to do that with me. Take the test. And if you are alarmed at the results... Reevaluate your life and look at those numbers again and look at the time you spend and the money you spend and start balancing it out some more. This is a sermon where you don't need to respond by going forward so much as you need to respond by going home, sitting down with your numbers and saying, what is my results from this test? Make sure Jesus is Lord of your life. Your eyes are good, and your heart is where you think it is. And if there's an adjustment that needs to be made, do it. And if there's anyone here who's not made Jesus Lord of your life, these questions will be convicting to you if he's important, but you've never named him Lord before. These seem foreign. Something else is your Lord, and you need a change of ownership. And this morning auction if you've decided you want to surrender your life and come under the, oh, the, the the lordship of Christ I want you to know he takes ownership and he's pesky don't you dare come forward and confess or come forward and be baptized without the understanding that when you do he becomes the owner of you and he makes the calls not you we would be amiss to not warn you about that If there's an ownership change that's necessary now, make it known as we stand and sing to encourage you. What will you do with Jesus? The question comes to you. And you must give an answer for something you must do. What shall it be? What shall it be?